in the book of second or first John, second chapter, verses uh, twenty four through twenty nine. So oddly enough, within the span of a week, we're actually going to finish two chapters: one in Ephesians and one here in in first uh, John chapter two. That doesn't happen very often. Doesn't happen very often that we finish a chapter, does it? Anyway. First John chapter 2, beginning in verse 24. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he had promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, and when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So, Father, we ask that you would, you would guide our hearts, guide our minds, bring us to a place of understanding and a place of application regarding this passage. Lord, there is so much here. And we, Lord, Lord, we ask that you would help us just capture the essence of it. That you would speak to our hearts, fill us again with your spirit that we might receive from you. Fill me with your spirit that you might help me to address the areas that you desire really to address in our own hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So, it's getting a little repetitive here, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing. We talked about repetition. I'm actually going to refer back to Wednesday night for a little bit um, regarding this. But, but repetition isn't bad. Actually, repetition is actually something that we have to pay attention to in the Bible because when the Bible uh, is repeating itself, it's saying to you what? It's saying pay attention. It's saying to you take notice. It's saying to you that, that these are the things that, that we really need to, to bring uh, into consideration and, and, and uh, not only consideration but, but to submit to these things to that which the Lord is, is desiring to speak to us. And, and so he... he Particularly in this particular little passage, you have the word abide over and over and over again, which we will get into in a minute. But, but he goes back and he says, uh, therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Well, when we think about this phrase, when you heard from the beginning, this takes us all the way back to what? Chapter 1, verse 1. 
where, where, where John is saying that which we heard from the beginning. So he, he's talking about those things that we heard uh, and that we understood and that the Spirit not only gave us a mental understanding for, but actually breathed the life into so that we might receive the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ and understand who he is. I talked about this last week. It's online. If, if, if you weren't here, you could, you could check that out. And, and talking about not only this, this declaration that Jesus is the Christ, but, but, but understanding exactly what that means and, 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 and the context and character and the truth behind that declaration. And, and so he's saying, therefore, let that abide in you, which you've heard from the beginning. If, notice the if, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. Notice the word abide three times. I'm not going to get there yet. I want to, for a second, I want to I um, bring up this idea of the word if. Right? Now, if I say we... We will be able to go home if the pastor ever finished talking, right? That would be a sentence that we would use, right? Eventually, I will, all right? But, but that's a conditional sentence, is it not? Of course, if I went and I talked all day, eventually I'd be talking probably to an empty room, but uh, um, which that, that doesn't work well. But, uh, but this word if is conditional. Now, this is a difficult passage, because it, 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 I think the implication is if you don't abide, if you don't abide, then you will not abide in the Son and in the Father. I think, I think that is a, a, a part of what, what John is talking about. Now, I referred to Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we looked at the end of Ephesians chapter 4, and we talked again about this idea of being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Chapter 1 of Ephesians talks about it as well in, in verse 7 and in verse 13. So this idea of being sealed, once we are sealed, we are sealed. But John here is really saying something a little bit different. He's saying if you abide in these things, then you will abide in the Son and the Father. So he's making this, this, this idea of, of our, of our um, state of being children of God almost a bit conditional. Which I mentioned that a little bit Wednesday night. I didn't actually go into this passage. Peter has a few things and the book of Hebrews has a few things that would cause you to at least give some serious thought to this idea of what we call eternal security, which is an area that I lean very hard toward. However, however, I'm also committed to teaching the text when, I'm, when it's in front of me. Now, I remember a story where a, a guy was teaching through the first chapter, of, well, the first part of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. And so he read all these books uh, that really, that were written by guys, and he actually put them on Facebook. I don't know why he did this, okay? But anyway, he puts it on Facebook um, of, of these books, even took pictures of the books of, of these guys and their commentaries talking about God's, and they lean toward God's sovereignty. 
they lean toward God's choice. Uh, you, you would call them Calvinist or Reformed or Presbyterians. You could call them that as well. Okay. So he, he puts this online, and a friend of mine was that kind of attracted his attention, so he went to the website and listened to the guy's sermon. And so as soon as and he talked about but what happened, this pastor, he talked about these books and how he got some really great insights on them. And then when he taught on that passage in the book of Ephesians, all he talked about was free will. Even though the passage clearly talks about God's sovereignty, he talked about free will. So my question is, did he teach the passage? My answer, and your mileage may vary, is, and this is a guy I like, by the way. My answer is, no, he didn't teach the passage. And, and it was like a... a a person who used to attend here, and, and, and they, were, they were just convinced that we have free will, okay? I'm convinced we have free will. And, but any time I would talk about the sovereignty of God, this person would just get really angry with me and, and try to challenge me. And I remember one time I said, okay, let's have a Bible study right now. You go first. Let's sit down. I got my Bible right here. Let's have a Bible study. Prove me that you're right. Let, you go first. And then they never bothered me anymore because they were very emotionally attached to their systematic theology. They were very emotionally attached to their systematic... You know what I mean by systematic theology? This idea that we read the Bible and and we come up with a system of, of... the theology, which is the study of God. We come up with this system of the things that we believe or the things that we don't believe. Things like free will, things like predestination, things like God's election, things like how we view the end times, that systematic theology. But if we are going to go to the scripture and read what the scripture says, and yes, I believe and I agree that the best interpretation of scripture is other scripture, yet if I'm going to teach this text... We have to wrestle with what John is saying. Because Paul says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. John uses the word if. Which one's true? Okay, I don't know either. So, all right, which one's true? They're both true. They're both true. There you go. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) All right, you're with me. All right, I love it. They're both true. Jesus says in John 15, abide in me as the vine abides in the branch, that you're abide in me and you're to bear fruit. And the fruit that bears fruit, he prunes so it'll bear much fruit, more fruit. And the, and the, and the, the vines that don't, the branches, excuse me, that don't bear fruit, what does he do? John 15, he cuts them off. That bothers me. But you know what bothers me even worse about that? Jesus said it. Not my favorite pastor. Now, there is a secondary translation that said could interpret this cut off, meaning lifting them up. I've heard that. I'm not quite sure I really even buy into that. But you've got to go to the Greek and play with it. I haven't really done it that much. I, I just felt like this guy taught this once because he's trying to let everybody off the hook, which I understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. 
Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. Okay, that is essentially what he is describing in, what Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. It's the same thing that that John is describing when he says, let those things abide in you which you heard from the beginning. All right? And then he goes, he says, by which you were saved. These were the things that you heard from the beginning, by which you were saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believed in vain. But we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Until the day of redemption. Does this mean that people believed, but they didn't really believe? Does this mean that they were saved, but now they're not saved? Does this mean that they made a false profession and somehow in their commitment to Christ, something didn't take, something didn't connect? What does it mean? I'll give you my best theological answer. I have no idea. I don't. And I don't think anybody else does either. And I've, I've heard people trying to resolve this and try to explain it away. And, it, 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 and there are times I'm like, I can come up with a better argument than that. I don't know what it means. I do know that the Bible calls us into what's called tension. And what the Bible calls us into in the tension of paradox. You know what paradox is? Those two uh, seemingly conflicting, con- uh, contradicting things that exist side by side. Such as God's free will and such as, uh, excuse me, such as man's free will and, God- and God's election. He really is a lot bigger. He is a lot higher. His ways are beyond our finding out, the prophet Isaiah said. So, when it comes to these paradoxes, when it comes to these tensions, I believe that we are called to live in them and to exist in them and and to trust God the Lord Jesus Christ in them because I do believe that often it is beyond our figuring out to be able to reconcile them. Now, I've been around a while. And, and I've never heard good arguments. And, and I even got, I bought a book one time. It was the Southern Baptist had a conference called the John 316 Conference. And they lean Calvinist, by the way. And, 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 uh, they're trying to reconcile this idea of free will and God's sovereignty. And, and I remember reading one, one, one article, and basically they were, they were sermons that were given at this conference that they cleaned up even more and, and made, put them into print form. And it was, it was a good message, and he had a lot of good points, but at the end of the day, the problem with systematic theology, if you ask enough questions, you end up not being able to answer them. And what that does for me, guys, is it runs me back, it chases me back, it draws me back 
to that time where I'm sitting in Sunday school and I'm less than two digits, right? I'm under 10. And I'm singing, Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And as I look into this passage, I, and, I, and it's my fault because I'm the one who brought out the word if. I don't know if you caught that or not, so I'll blame that on me. The point of this passage is not so much to dwell upon the if. Oh my goodness, I better do this or else I'm not abiding. Or, oh my goodness, Billy Bob or Jimmy Jack is not abiding, so they must not be dwelling, right? They must not be remaining. That's the word, what the word abide means. And we want to impose this on all kinds of people whose lives, people who claim to be Christians, but their lives don't make sense. Well, it's very possible that your life doesn't make sense to other people either. God did not call us to judge. God did call us to be fruit inspectors. By their fruit, you might know them. Even that, there's a tension, isn't there? This passage here in 1 John chapter 2, the calling that is upon us, the instruction that is given to us is an instruction to abide. And it's, it's, it's used several times. I think for some of you, if you have an NIV, it may use the word remain. Um, I, the ESV, the Christian Standard Bible, the New King James, the King James, uh, they, 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 they sit on the word abide, which I like the word abide. Um, it means to remain. It means to stay. Right now, through the beginning of this message, none of you have gotten out and ran out, run away yet. You're all abiding. Okay, that's an example of, of what this particular word refers to. Um, and and what, what John is saying to them is, is allow the teaching that you have received that as you responded to that teaching, you became born again. Allow the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ to remain in you. And don't get entangled with heretical ideas. Remember, the whole purpose of this letter, and we see this here in verse um, 26, these things I write to you uh, concerning those who try to deceive you. There was, there, this is really the first church split that he's addressing, or at least the first recorded church split that he is addressing here. Between, between heresy and, 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 and truth. And... He's saying, let those things remain in you regarding the person of Jesus Christ. That is an understanding of who Jesus is, how he saved us, and it should inform every part of our life. The story of the cross should inform every part of our life. What is the calling of discipleship that Jesus gave to us? It's found, among other places, in Luke chapter 9, right? And I refer to it a lot. You guys should know this. If any man come after me... Let him 
take up his cross, deny himself daily, and follow me. The cross is not a burden. It's a form of execution. It's a big difference. We try to make it, oh, it's just the cross I got to carry. No, the cross is your means of execution where you mortify the deeds of the flesh, Paul said in the book of Romans, so that uh, through the spirit you might live. That's what he's referring to here when he talks about the cross. That's what Jesus is referring to. So we're called to abide, understanding who he is. And, and, and we grow forth from those truths. And we stay grounded in him. And, and, and so my spiritual growth, your spiritual growth, always has to be informed with the fact that I was once lost but now I'm found. Going back to the song Amazing Grace. Don't ask me why it popped in my head. It just did. I was blind, but now I see. Because Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Which is a description of all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which is in the book of Romans as well. Quoting from the prophet Isaiah. And remember that we have sinned and yet we have a great God that God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. And not only did he die for us to save us, but he died for us so that we might grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as I've shared with you guys before, when I get to heaven, I don't want to ride a tricycle. I want to ride a big 103 Harley Davidson, man. And you can hear me coming a mile away. That's, that's what I'm looking for. You, you know, you make that work for her. Some of you want to drive around a Corvette or whatever, um, which is fine too. But I want the best eternity I possibly can have for myself. And the calling that we have here is to abide. It's used three times in this particular verse. Uh, the first abide is in, is in the present tense. It, that, in other words, it is an action that is in the process or the state of being without any assessment of that action's completion. In other words, it kind of refers to something that is happening. It's, I like the circle thing that I like to do. Anyway, I don't do it all the time. But anyway, it's, it's, it's an action that we have, that we are abiding in Christ. And it's not something that I do. I abide in Christ for a moment or two, and then, you know what, I got mad, or somebody makes me upset, and I'm not going to abide in Christ, and I'm going to do something else. But it's this continual sense of commitment that we have to abide in Christ. And sometimes it's hard. You guys look at me like you don't believe me. Sometimes it's hard to abide in him. It, 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 it refers to this idea that you are continually abiding. And also it's in, the, it's in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Maybe the words are too strong, but just to paraphrase it, he's saying here, you will abide. Or you must abide. That might even be better. Abide in you, which you've heard from the beginning. Uh, So that's what that first word, abide, is. Uh, By the way, there are variations of the same root word here in, in the Greek in this particular word. The second abide is... If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, right? That's the second abide in this verse, right? That's a different tense. 
in the Greek. It's in the aorist tense, A-O-R-I-S-T, if you want to write it out. Aorist tense um, is, is kind of a puzzling tense because there's no real English equivalent. Uh, but, but what it refers to is something that happened, a snapshot, right? It's not like a motion picture where you see everybody come in, they sit down, they say hello to each other. No, it's just a photograph, let's say, of Tom just sitting here right now, as he is, right? So we didn't, we didn't film him coming in, but we'll just take a snapshot. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that hand. Uh, it, we just took a, a snapshot. That's an errorist idea. It often refers to um, this idea of being a past tense, but not always. Um, but in this, what's interesting about this, in the mood that it is in, um, it doesn't indicate time. It doesn't indicate time. It just says simply, here is the time that you were saved somewhere back then. But, so it implies past tense, but it doesn't indicate time, which I find to me that's fascinating here as well. So if you, if you abide, or th- that from what you heard from the beginning abides in you. And, I, and I, I, I think the reason why this word grammatically is used in the fashion that it is is because those things that I heard from the beginning... All right, I got saved a while ago. There was a lot of things about Jesus I did not understand. Right? Thank God he saved me anyway. Thank God I didn't have to take the course. Because I was eight, and it would have been over my head. But I was was young enough to understand that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior. Excuse me, I was old enough, well... You get the idea. I was old enough to understand. I was a sinner. I needed a Savior. And as I'm older now, I really understand that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Amen? Yeah, of course. But anyway, uh, don't we say that about ourselves? Or at least we should. But, but that which was, we heard from the beginning, if it remains in you, that recognition, the fact that I was a sinner, the recognition that only Jesus and Jesus alone could save me, and what could wash away my sin? There I go with another hymn again. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Maybe because I'm thinking back to my past when I did get saved, and that's all I heard in church. But anyway. And then the third abide. It says, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. Will abide. That word, the, the, the two words will abide is a translation of one word. Because it is future tense. Something that will happen in the future. So obviously he is, I believe that John is hinting at. Now we see this in, 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 uh, in verse 28 where he talks about abiding in him. And when he appears we will have confidence and not be ashamed. Uh, at his coming. But I think here in, in verse 24, he's hinting at the fact that if, 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 you, if you abide uh, in the things that you first believed in, if you remain in those things, that then you will abide in the Son and in, in the Father. Notice the order, too, is not the Father and the Son, but the Son and the Father. Why? Because we have reconciliation with the Father through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I think that's what John is bringing out here. Uh, as well. And so um, we have it we have it partially now. But I think what John is looking forward to is that 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 full 
um, sanctification or that fullness of our salvation when one day we see him face to face, which we sang about earlier this morning. So those are the three abides that we have in verse 24. And then in verse 25, I write these things concerning uh, 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. What I love about this promise is that this promise of eternal life is both a future promise, but it is also a present experience of abiding in God the Father and abiding in Jesus Christ the Son. So in in a very real sense, we have eternal life now, even though one of these days we will leave the body. But we have eternal life now because we abide in him. And, and that's, that's the promise because do I go here? I, I, I would hate I would hate for for our lives just to end and, and for it to, that to be it. And, and I am so glad for the, the promise of heaven. I'm so glad for the gift of eternal life. Be, because if we just die and then, then it's a blank screen, thinking back, you know, it's like, gosh, if I died tonight, you know, all those things that I would like to have accomplished that I haven't. I know that if I died tonight, I would not be in the place in my relationship to Jesus Christ that I would want to be. And yet, the hope of heaven brings me not only assurance of the fact that I will live forever, that we will live forever, but the hope of heaven. Because I, I, I don't have a great understanding of what heaven will be like, and I think it's actually here on earth, according to the book of Revelation. Or uh, basically, orbiting the earth, but that's another discussion for another time, the new heavens and the new earth. But, but I, I wonder if there isn't going to be a part of us where we, we, where we pick up where we left off here on earth. And God continues to show us and reveal to us new and greater things. Yes, we will know as we are known, the Bible says, and so there is this transformation that will take place, both spiritually, uh, phys- uh, physically, and mentally. But I, I still think we, we will have the, that, that, that place where we will see him in such a greater capacity, in such a greater way. And, and, and the, the truths of God, the depths of God, the knowledge of God, uh, the, the character of God, it, 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 it really is, is a well without end that we will continue to plunge into and, and, and comprehend the deeper and the deeper and deeper things of God. How in the world, for example, did he even come up with this idea of the universe and the earth and the fact that we need water and we need oxygen and we need sunshine and, you know, all of this? What an incredible creator he is. What an incredible God he is. How creative. I can't even paint on a canvas very well, let alone create all of this that we see. 
it's amazing to me. And, and, and these are the things that, 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 because, you know, and Paul says this in Corinthians, you know in part. You prophesy in part. But one day, and I referred to it earlier, one day you will know as you are known. And I don't know if that knowing as we're known actually happens as we step through the doors of heaven or the gates if you want to go. Anyway, uh, or if we continue to grow in the knowledge and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But I think of our friends and our loved ones who have gone on before us and how much more advanced that they are in their knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ than we are right now. It's amazing. This is the promise, eternal life. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I am so grateful for that. And thank God for that. And he says, I've written these things, I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. There are people out there that want to rip you off. They want to rip you off. They want to subject you to them. They do not want to subject you to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we and, and this whole book, this whole letter is written so that we are, are, are safeguarding our own souls and the souls of others. Don't let a false teacher rip you off. And incidentally, a false teacher, a false teacher doesn't have Motley Crue as their worship band, all right? Just as an example. That, that's kind of an 80s example and maybe a 90s example. All right, you know, or, or Black Sabbath at their worship band. They, that, they, they, they give you a lot of truth. But then they start slipping in her, heresy. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, whether it's, it's, it's who they are as a people or the spirit behind them. Because yes, this is spiritual warfare that I'm talking about. But they'll tell you stuff that's very nice, especially in this day and age of political correctness. And boy, did I just appeal to the, to the Republican side of some of you, didn't I? But nonetheless, in this day of political correctness, Where, where, where we want to be compassionate, we want to be kind, and we want to be loving, and this and that. And, and yeah, yes, we, we do. But John said it so well in the first chapter of his gospel when he talked about Christ, Jesus Christ being full of grace. You know where I'm going. And truth. And you cannot sacrifice one for the other. Sometimes they live in tension. Sometimes they live in paradox. But you can't sacrifice one from the other. But the anointing which you have. When we talked about the anointing last week, we see that in verse 20. But the anointing you have is, excuse me, but an anointing from the Holy. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. All right? 
So he's kind of going to repeat this again. He says, but the anointing which you have received from him abide in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and it's not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. All right, so let me, I'm going to finish with this verse. Because actually, verses 28 and 29 kind of bridge between uh, verses 24 through 28 and verses actually 1 uh, one through 10 of chapter 3. So we'll pick up in, in uh, verse 28 next week. You do not have any need that any should teach you. So what in the world are you doing here? Why do you read the Bible? Right? Is, and I've heard this, because that's, that, well, I don't need anybody, to, any man to teach me. I just have the Holy Spirit teach me. In other words, they live inside their own head. They live inside their own head. And John, who is probably writing to the church in Ephesus, and they had already gotten Paul's letter where it says, and he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So we may all come to the maturity of the faith. So he is not saying that all, and I got a friend of mine, he calls them Jesus and me under the apple tree kind of people. Right? Jesus and me under the apple tree. And, and what, what John is saying that, yes, the things that I share with you, and it's like, uh, yeah, that's, that's at times when I pause, I'm like, all right, God, now what do you, where do you want to go? Or where should I go? Or I get an impulse in my thought, and is it me or is it the Spirit? And I'm, I'm quickly trying to, what I do a lot of times when I stand up here is I'm weeding stuff out, actually, uh, of what not to say and trying to, trying to grab a hold of and tune in to what I believe the Spirit would want to speak to each of us, including myself. And so we trust the Spirit of God to take the teaching of the Word of God and to transform it not only intellectually and through our reasoning skills, but also it, that, that it works its way into our souls into our hearts, into our spirit. It works its way into giving us a spiritual understanding and and a grasp of what God is desiring to share with each one of you. And without the work of the Holy Spirit here in our midst, we might as well just go home. Because we're just spinning our wheels. Because the reality is, he is the teacher. When I sit down and I counsel with people, the reality is he is the counselor. And we trust in the ministry of the Holy Spirit to be able to speak to us and also to recognize that if he, if we believe he is telling us one thing and he's telling the rest of the church something totally different and contrary, guess who's probably wrong? Yeah. Because he speaks truth and we develop. Remember what I said about systematic theology at the beginning? Which is what the early church had to do and hammer these things out. We develop our systematic theology in community. That's what the early church did. That's what the church councils were all about. And boy, I wish they had videotaped those. They would have been fun to watch. 
But yes, we have an anointing. And it, we look to the work of the Holy Spirit to give us an understanding of what his Bible says. I mean, isn't it, it, doesn't it almost seem like a, a contradiction? He says that, the, that John says you don't have any need for anyone to teach you, but he wrote us a letter of instruction to what? Teach us. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his body, the body of Christ. He speaks to us also in the still small voice of the Spirit. And yes, he speaks to us in a very devotional, very personal way. And he uses all those things to instruct us and to, to, to bring us to a place where we become greater and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That is what he is intending to do. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus, first and foremost and always. He doesn't, he doesn't share the things of his own. He shares the things, what Jesus has said, what the Father has said, and, 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 and the three in one, the triunity of God is in perfect alignment to minister to each and every one of us. And aren't you, and, and that, tell you what, what that does for me, because there, and I, I don't know, you probably agree with me, there are Sundays I have flat Sundays. You're right. <laughs> You probably agree with that. No, yeah. Oh, that was terrible, Mike, but I better not tell him. Anyway, I go home thinking, those poor people. I do. I drive home thinking, those poor people. This, that was horrible, you know. And, 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 and yet, I can trust that the Holy Spirit takes that which I have offered. And he combines the teaching of his word with the voice of his still small voice into the hearts of each and every one of you. And he addresses things differently to different people. And what's interesting about the times where I do get feedback and I was like, well, I never really thought of this, but obviously the Spirit revealed this to you. And, and to trust in the work of the Holy Spirit because all things... He teaches us all things that are uh, and, and is true and it is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Just as it has taught you that knowledge of the faith where we entered into the faith, that drawing that we have of the Holy Spirit, and because of that drawing of the Holy Spirit, not only did we become saved, but John is saying here that that drawing, that voice, that power from the Holy Spirit who draws us into his presence is what causes us to abide in him to begin with. Does that make sense? In other words, a lot of the abiding that we have is not me making the decision to abide as much as it is responding to the invitation of the Holy Spirit to abide in him. Because I don't know about you. I shouldn't say this. I should ask Phil to mute this, but I'm going to let it ride. There are days that I don't feel like it. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are like, oh, no, I can't believe you just said that. There, there are days I, I'm just, I don't feel like it. Or, or there are days I just feel very flat spiritually. And there are times and situations I want to be anything but a Christian, Right? None of you, of course, right? Doesn't look at the smiles on your faces, even through the mask. 
But it is just as the anointing, the Holy Spirit has taught us, we abide in him and we are kept. I love what, what uh, I can't remember now if it's Peter or Paul. And it's not Mary. But anyway, uh, some of you got that. All right. But we are kept by the power of God. We are kept by the power of God. I'm saved by the power of God. I am kept by the power of God. And so this idea of abiding, this idea of remaining, this idea of staying, let me just put it to you real succinct. Just keep hanging on to Jesus. Just keep hanging on to Jesus. Even when it feels like you can't feel him. Even in those times when you don't want to. Because I know some of y'all pretty well. And some of you go through those times. I don't want to do this right now. Right? I get it. But just keep hanging on to Jesus. Because we have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And because we are kept by the power of God unto salvation. And we have that eternity that I described, that I felt like I just touched the hem of the garment on. We have that eternity to one day look forward to one day again. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great faithfulness to each of us. And we just ask, Lord, that you would help us abide. Draw us in. Invite us in. Keep drawing us. Keep inviting us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us, Lord, to remain. Help us, Lord, to stay put with the things that you have taught us by which we responded to the great gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray too, Lord, as I, I said at the beginning, that, that these things would continue to inform, continue to shape, continue to mold us, and those would be the things that would be used by the Holy Spirit to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ for the great glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.